Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and once again we are back at it, working through the Gospel of Matthew. So we uh, have been kind of trekking through, we talked about uh, the girl and the uh, and the woman who were healed, and we talked about the blind man being healed as well, and here we are going to look at Jesus Heals man unable to speak, and the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So we're going to close out chapter 9 today. Uh, this will be verses 32 through 38, if you're following along. Uh, I am obviously going to read these verses before we uh, start to unpack them. Uh, but uh, so that, that that's it, right? We're, we're going to get through Matthew 9, then we're going to move on to 10, and then we'll... Uh, carry on the rest of the gospel of Matthew. So we have a long ways to go and we have no time constraints for us to be anywhere other than the gospel of Matthew. I am still in the process of working on some Tuesday bonus episodes and uh, those will come hopefully down the chute a little bit, but uh, my summer's uh, filling up very quickly with other obligations uh, in the ministry and elsewhere. So uh, be patient with me as uh, they may. this may get pushed back to the fall, but I will try to build out a small short series on discipline and parenting in the modern age, uh, but we will see if I can't make it happen sooner rather than later. But as is all of your little uh, commercials and reminders are at the end of the show, after the end of the music. Also, you can look at uh, the show notes below and uh DM me, question me, ask me anything you got on anything, and I would be an open book to help you. The show is for you, and so let's get into the material at hand. Genesis, uh, Genesis. I just got done recording Genesis for uh, my patrons. Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. Here we go. Uh, and they were going away. Behold, a demon-oppressed man who was mute, who was brought to him. And when the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, "Nothing was ever, nothing was anything like this seen in uh, in Israel." But the Pharisee said, "He casts out demons by the prince of demons." So we have a little bit of a uh, a conundrum that Jesus is now being accused of, and we have uh, some interesting uh, pieces to try and dig in here to see what is going on in these um, 
in these couple of verses. Not a lot, right? We don't even see Jesus actually speak. It just says, uh, brought to him, the demon had been cast out. Jesus had spoken something, obviously, very similar to the previous uh, demon encounters. Um, But we have this demon-oppressed mute man, unable to speak, pretty simple, straightforward. Um, The demon is another resemblance, I guess we could turn back to Matthew 8. And so let's look at Matthew 8, 16. I'm just going to read that verse there. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast them out. The demon possession was common during the earthly ministry of Jesus. Uh, but with a word, he healed them all. Now, I've made, maybe I made a statement on the show. I'm not quite certain, but I know I've talked about how I think it would be a fascinating study to look at demonology just for my own personal understanding through the church age, because we still have reports of people being possessed today. Uh, and that's where uh, the Rome, Roman Catholic Church and other organizations try to Um, go out and uh, cast them out and so they have demonologists and all of these different types of people who are uh, in charge of uh, ministering to these people who are demon oppressed and so uh, that's an interesting study and there's you know obviously some horror movies and stuff like that that are out and you know talk about it and they kind of make a a light at the catholic church and their abilities to do so and some of them are actually you know fairly uh, on point with the the horror that you would uh, experience in that. And I've read some accounts of um, priests who have been in this line of work, and they say some of the things that we have seen and read and heard about uh, and witnessed and partook in are, you know, the, the, you can't even put them into a Hollywood script or on a movie screen. They are just beyond uh, imaginable, the depths and darkness that plague the demons. So, This individual is mute. Uh, He's unable to speak. He's brought before Jesus and the demon is cast out. We don't even see the demon saying anything uh, in response to the presence of Jesus. It's simply a straightforward text. Um, But what really is going to start um, getting kind of uh, shaky here for Jesus is verses 33 and 34. The crowds respond positively to what Jesus had done. And so the Pharisees are witnessing this. And they respond negatively as their opposition to Jesus is increasing. And we'll see more of that in chapter 12. Uh, And so he is, you can call it winning over the crowd. Uh, That would be an easy way to, to write it out, that he is, you know, winning the crowds. But it's not that Jesus was really there to win crowds or be into competition with the the Pharisees. He came to show what they had failed to teach, and that is the gospel, the good news that uh, salvation comes through uh, the God of Israel. And so he is upsetting the, you know, kind of the norm, if you would. And we have, uh, you know, the, the, the Pharisees, if you would, reacting in a negative reaction, whereas the crowds are marveling. And so we'll see. Uh, the crowds will shift their demeanor towards Christ later on, but in the moment they are they are demonstra- they are exalting him all the way up to Palm Sunday, where they lay down palms and garments as he enters Jerusalem on a donkey. So they are exalting him, uh, praising him, and you know marveling at what he's done. But when it comes to um, the Pharisees, they don't like that, and so they 
um, obviously respond negatively. But here they associate uh, Jesus with being uh, being able to cast out demons by the prince of demons. And so they had a name, uh, and I'm going to probably massacre it, but it's uh, Belzebul. And uh, this takes us all the way back to 2 Kings in the first chapter. Um, but let's read another connecting point to it here uh, uh, in Matthew chapter 10, we'll see it shortly. Is it enough for, for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master? If they have called the master of the house of Belzebul, how much more will they maligne those of his household? So the this prince of demons, uh, again, takes us back to Second Kings. I don't want to jump over there in a minute. Uh, but Jesus, the true master of God's house, was labeled demonic. Jesus' disciples will be equally maligned. So let's look at First uh, Kings, and uh, this is First Kings chapter one, verses uh, two and on. So uh, let let us actually read these verses here. Um, uh, I got to go all the way back to First Kings here, chapter one. My my thing jumped me to chapter twenty, so I got to go back. Verse uh, chapter one. Uh, no, my apologies. I was in the right place. It was indeed chapter uh, Second Kings chapter one verses two and on. So, hey, look at that! You guys get a little bit of a, a blimp in my radar here. Second uh, Kings chapter one verses two, three, and four. We we'll read those. Uh, and now uh, Ahaz fell through the lattice in his upper chambers of Samaria and lay sick, and so he sent messengers telling them, "Go inquire of Belzebub." the god of Ekron, whether I shall recover from the sickness. But the angel of the Lord said to Elijah the Tishbite, Arise, go up and meet the messengers of the king of Samaria, Samaria and tell and say to them, Is it because there is no god in Israel that you are going to inquire of Belzebub, the god of Ekron? Now therefore, thus says the Lord, You shall not come down from the bed to which you have gone up, and you shall surely die. So Elijah went. So uh, the windows are covered with a latticework here, and uh, the upper chamber, typically the living and sleeping quarters, he falls through it. Um, the bell, Belzebub is uh, the original uh, Baal Zebub. Baal Zebub. The Baal is prince here, and the writer expresses disdain for the Canaanite idol by calling it. Uh, Belzebub, which is lord of a fly. Ekron, this Philistine city, southwest, uh, about 40 miles of Samaria, and it boasted of a Baal with unusual powers of healing. Archaeological finds suggest a switch from devotion to dragon, First uh, Samuel chapter 5, uh, to Baal, whose name is often incorporated with a Philistine personal names so uh, interesting studies done there in uh, um, second kings and i get the right chapter or the right book down for you uh, but uh, there's there's a long history to how israel and, and other surrounding nations uh, write this out um, in terms of um, you know the demons and things like that so they even have princes of demons listed and they have that here and so the Pharisees are equating Christ and his work to 
uh, to these demons. And that, again, is a, um, you know, at least from the eyes of a Christian, it would be a blasphemous work for these Pharisees to do so. The Pharisees, though, think that they are in the right and that Jesus is the one who is a blasphemy, uh, blaspheming God's holy word. So that's why they associate him with the prince of demons. Let's carry on. Verse 35, the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few. And I like this verse because we have some things to hash out. Uh, and Jesus went throughout all of the cities and villages, teachings, uh, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When the crowd saw him, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. All right, so we've got some things to, to kind of work through. Um, and if time allows it, we might even crack into chapter 10 today. Uh, I, you know, I, I want to provide a 30-minute show. And depending on how long I ramble here, uh, we might have a little bit of time left over to get these, uh, the first few verses of chapter uh, 10 rolling, which is the 12 apostles, pretty straightforward text. So we might even cover that at the end of the show. But uh, let's un unpack these verses here. Verse 35 begins. Uh, the uh, second summary leads to the calling of the 12 disciples, which is going to follow uh, here in the next passage, uh, starting chapter 10. Uh, and then this is now beginning, essentially, of the missionary discourse, which will take place in verse 5 of chapter 10 all the way through verse 42. Uh, and we know the healings and afflictions of every disease here. Uh, this is taken back to Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus goes out and ministers to the great crowds. So very straightforward, verse 35. Um, you know, he's out traveling, going through all the cities and all the villages, uh, and he is proclaiming this... Um, the gospel, which is that salvation comes through God of Israel and forgiveness of sins is present in this. This is not a, you know, a different gospel or anything that Jesus preached to what we adhere to. Jesus is preaching that God forgives you of your sins. And so that is the gospel. Uh, and so by doing such, he's again, angering the Pharisees who had such a distaste over uh, Christ uh, being able to heal because he's equating himself to God. So verse 36, he's having compassion. Uh, he's moved with pity. And this is based on a term referring to uh, the belly, the literary term. And it's regarded as the seat of emotions. Harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd, the people were spiritual, had spiritual leaders like the Pharisees who charged Jesus with being a pawn of Satan. So they had no shepherd. They had nobody to really authentically lead them in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, the writings, and they uh, were uh, subjected to these Pharisees who were uh, just atrocious leaders. And uh, they continue to be helpless, like sheep before the shearer. And... Uh, so that's, a, again, another recognizing that these folk are helpless. They have no hope. They have no direction. They have no, they're not, they're never receiving any promises. They're basically just being shoved the law down their throats over and over again. And so it pays us to understand the, the, the massive distinction between the Pharisees and Christ. You know, we talked about it earlier in chapter nine, 
where Jesus tells the scribes to go and learn what this means, that I desire mercy and not sacrifice. The Pharisees uh, desired sacrifice and not mercy. So it's the complete opposite. And so Jesus is saying, I've come to flip that on its head, and I'm to show you what should have been, you know, outside of the prophets of old. I am here to show you how these, you know, leaders of Israel should have taught you. And so he goes out and he's casting out demons. He's healing uh, every disease and every affliction. And he's preaching the gospel to all of these towns. So uh, the disciples, verses 37 and 38, so he tells us to his disciples, uh, not just the 12, uh, but this would be a larger group. Uh, so there are probably you know, a, a significant portion of people here. It says various harvests would occur throughout the year. Uh, and there's, that, in fact, a calendar here that... Uh, would give us the, uh, you know, the the Israelite calendar. The first months of the Israelite calendar are arranged here from first to last, as they are typically ordered them. Israel basically had two seasons: the wet season and the dry season. And uh, we've got the months, the lunar calendar, religious festivals, biblical and Jewish titles, uh, social festivals, agricultural events, climate, and uh, Abeb and Nisan, which is April, March and April. So there's, you know, various kind of coursing through. Um, their calendar obviously is different. And so uh, equating to the harvest, Jesus is picking up on these agricultural metaphors to picture that many people are needed to hear the gospel. And so just as in this time period, many people were called or needed to help with the harvest, many people are being used today to preach God's word. And this is kind of one of those verses that really resonates on me uh, because it, it really kind of goes to the to the the point that the harvest is plentiful. There are many people, uh, countless people who need to hear the gospel every day. They need to hear it. They need to be reminded and they need to be told that God forgives them of their sin. They cannot just be told the law and expect to be saved through the law. The law will only ever reveal your sin and prepare you for the gospel. The law never saves. It only condemns. And so being, you know, these individuals who are helpless and harassed and they have the law just being pounded into them every, every day, every week, they have no hope. There is no good news there. And so Jesus comes proclaiming this, and it's shaking and rattling and upsetting the status quo that the Pharisees have long sought to keep intact. And so Jesus makes it very blunt here. He says, "The harvest is many." He goes, you know, and this could be a, a response to look at all of these people who have come to hear me. All of these people have come to be healed or to hear the good news. And Jesus is making a statement to his disciples, the crowds who we're following him, this larger group, that the harvest is indeed plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so the harvest requires, uh, well, and continues to require our prayers for the workers today. It also calls us to bear witness to ourselves. These, uh, these individuals, these who are the harvester or the, uh, the laborers, if you would, they are few in, that is a striking statement through the church age. Not everybody who wakes up one morning and says, I'm going to go into the ministry and preach Christ to everybody. Uh, I surely didn't when I was, um, you know, 
10 years ago or even six or five years ago, I had nothing, no desire to be a pastor. And then God called me and it shattered my paradigm. It shattered my world and it flipped everything upside down and brought us from Illinois to Iowa. And we've been here for two and a half years and it has been the greatest two and a half years of my life. That is, uh, it is an amazing work. And be honest with you, I, I see how the harvest is indeed plentiful. There are people within my community that need to hear the gospel. And I have people coming to church who uh, like the way I preach because I deliver to them the distinction of law and gospel. I tell them that they are in need of a savior. And then I give them that savior that Jesus freely forgives them of their sin. And I, I personally am, you know, or I would say maybe leading into my ministry lives, uh, life, I was a little bit more introverted. Uh, my previous jobs kind of had me isolated for the most part in a cubicle. And so I very seldom would venture out. And, and if I did, it was only to some of the friends that I had in the office and then, you know, take calls and such like that, which I was totally in my comfort zone because I didn't have to see people. But I literally lived an introverted life. And now that I'm a pastor, I have to be extroverted. I have to be outgoing and energetic. And, and I can tell you, Sometimes it's exhausting because I would rather not, you know, have to go and do these things. But, you know, the more and more I see the need for people, the more and more I want to sign up for preaching events and and traveling and doing all these things and getting out into the community and sharing God's love because this is the entire purpose of being a laborer for the kingdom of heaven. We are called to go out and preach this gospel. And so it is indeed true uh, that the harvest is plentiful, which indicates that there are, you know, everybody needs to hear the gospel. All 7 billion plus people in the world now need to hear the gospel. Uh, The laborers are few. There's only, you know, good, only so many good, sound biblical preachers in today's world. But also any Christian can be a laborer. Any Christian could be sharing the gospel. It doesn't just have to be a pastor or a theologian or somebody who's got a you know big social media account. It is all of us. It is every Christian from you know least to greatest and all in between. We are to share the gospel and the good news. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out his labors into the harvest. The plentiful harvest continues and it requires our prayers and requires us to continue to bear witness to to others and to ourselves. And we should be sharing the gospel. And as I'd always say, when it comes to something of this stature, this isn't law that's being presented. Uh, this isn't this isn't really this, this is kind of a molding between law and gospel, if you would. Uh, and what I mean by that is there is action and work that is required. But there's also good news that is is attached to that. And Jesus is really speaking. He's not necessarily giving He's not giving a commandment. But what he's doing is he's speaking reality. He's saying, I've just did all this stuff. And I can tell you this, that the harvest is plentiful. Look at all these people who come to see me. And it's just me doing the work. It is just Jesus going out and doing the work here. His disciples are just tagging along. They're not, they haven't been sent out yet. Uh, he sends them out and does, and we will pick up that missionary discourse here in the next uh, chapter. But he, they are still tagging along with Jesus. And 
So he makes the statement, I'm the only harvester right now. I'm the only person laboring. The Pharisees aren't doing it. They're too busy equating me to be like Satan. I'm out here healing the afflicted and casting out demons and forgiving sin. He is the only person currently acting as a laborer. And from the church age, his disciples pick up that charge and become the laborers out into the harvest. And then from that point on, it becomes all of our responsibility to share that. And so it's not necessarily a commandment that we have to sit and uh, fulfill as a requirement of being a Christian, but it is the freedom that Christ has given us in the acknowledgement of our sinful past and our sinful manner to be able to take that and share that. Look what God has done for me. God forgave me my sin. I was a terrible person. Uh, I still am a terrible person. I sin all the time, but God forgives me of my sin, and I can recognize that, and I can share that compassion, mercy, and joy, and hope, and peace, and happiness with other people because what God has done for me. Now, your story isn't the gospel. I hate to break your news to you, but your personal A redemptive story is not the gospel. It can have the gospel in it, but it is not the gospel. How you should equate it is, look what God has done to me. I was a sinful person, and God forgave me of my sin. You are a sinful person, and God forgives you of your sin. Then you can talk about how you are so sinful and how God's grace and mercy is that much greater. That is the gospel. And so the harvest is many It's not a commandment to go out and we have to actively preach. We see that actually molded in Matthew 28. We see a little bit of law there uh, in in the Great Commission, but we'll see that he's distinctively talking to his disciples and those who are commissioned to go out into the world and to perform these actions. And so we'll talk more about that distinction when we get to that verse. But here, this isn't a command. It's a reality. It's It's a general statement of truth that Jesus is making, that there are... Uh, everybody needs to hear this promise. Everybody needs to hear these these words that their sins are forgiven. And there are only so few of people to go out and do that. And so we must continuously pray to the Lord to continue to raise up men uh, to be preachers and raise up women and men to be sound biblical Christians to share the gospel with the world. So that's going to wrap these up. Uh, Jesus is traveling around Galilee uh, and the need for uh, partners to preach the gospel becomes more and more obvious. He urges his disciples to pray for the laborers and he sends out uh, the 12 of them as his personal, and he sends out 12 as his personal ambassadors in chapter 10. We'll read that in a minute. Uh, Jesus' desire to save the Jewish people and to make disciples of all nations has not changed. All Christians are called to witness of the surpassing compassion Jesus shows them by the forgiveness uh, of sin, their new life, and salvation that he offers. So let's dig into these 12 real quick. We're just going to name them off and then we'll close out the show here in a moment and let you be on with your day. So chapter 10, verse one, and he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. Okay, so he is now equipping these laborers to do what he had just done in the end of chapter nine. Uh, The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is also called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Aphrius and Thyatus, Simon, the zealot, Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. So the 12 disciples uh, 
also pointed in Luke, uh, in Luke and back in chapter five. These twelve will be the ones who are present with Christ in his ministry, and these same twelve will be the ones who uh, dine with him on uh, the night in which he was betrayed. So Jesus grants his disciples this kind of power that he uh, has already abundantly demonstrated. The spiritual authority that Jesus grants them anticipates their role and calling as leaders in the early church. And so the apostles are listed in pairs. Jesus sent them out two by two, as Mark chapter 6, verse 7 indicates. Uh, so the apostles are a you know collective group. And again, this kind of goes to uh, the acknowledgement that the apostles, even though in our text in the ESV, it has a lowercase a, the title of apostle, uh, Peter the Apostle, would be uh, an uppercase A, but it is also distinctive of a particular office that Jesus commissions here in chapter 10. This office is concluded in chapter in verse 4 of chapter 10 with Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrays him. Now, once Judas uh, is uh, you know dead, then the 11 meet and they say, we need to fill this gap. And so they bring in another person and we'll see that in the book of Acts. And then that rounds out the 12. Si- uh, Paul is not a part of these 12. He's not these apostles. He is given a different office and a different commission. His job is to be the apostle to the Gentile nations. And so uh, Paul does not assign that title onto Timothy or Titus or or Barabbas or anybody else that is traveling with him uh, or Barnabas, and uh, they they are all simply disciples and they are simply teachers. And you know Paul uses the language of bishops and deacons uh, in his pastoral epistles, but these twelve are of a particular office. The title that people like to attribute to themselves today is being called apostle blah 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 and they have a you know a big following in foreign countries they are they are all fakes and phonies they preach a prosperity gospel they preach a false gospel they are not authentic disciples and apostles of Jesus Christ and so the office of apostle has closed there are no new apostles so if you follow people with the t- word apostle in their title get rid of them they are false teachers that's all I can say. They are they are manipulating you and causing you to stumble. Get them out of your life and uh, move on. So uh, let's uh, just quickly touch base on a few things here. Uh, Philip, Greek-speaking disciple from Bethsaida, uh, who found Nathaniel. Uh, Bartholomew, perhaps Nathaniel. Uh, as indicated in John chapter 1, Thomas, prominent in John, Matthew, the former tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, referred to as James the Younger, as Mark 15.40 says, to distinguish him from John's brother. Uh, Thyatus is probably the person uh, Luke called Judas, son of James, in Luke chapter 6 and Acts one thirteen. Simon of uh, Canaan, Uh, This is the zealous one, name given to the Jewish nationalist group opposed to the Roman rule. And, of course, Judas Iscariot, the one who betrays Jesus. So that rounds out our 12 men and uh, closes out today's episode. So I hope you guys have enjoyed this context. We moved a little bit more than I uh, anticipated early on, which is great. But we will pick up next week and look at uh, Jesus sending out the 12 and talking about persecution. So 
not light topics, but uh, definitely needed to be discussed. So uh, it is Friday, so make sure you are in church tomorrow, or not tomorrow, on Sunday, and uh, hopefully you'll partake in the sacraments and uh, hear the gospel preached properly and be reminded that your sins are forgiven. If you do not hear those words, then you need to find another church. Just saying. Thanks a lot, guys, for tuning in. I hope you have a great week. God bless. We'll see you later. guys thanks for tuning into this episode of undying light if you did enjoy this episode then consider joining us on patreon for as little as a dollar a month that means one dollar per month will get you access to everything that we do behind the scenes that includes early releases podcast episodes bonus episodes that will never be released to the public teaching videos bible studies sermon notes, and anything else that may arise during the time, as well as early access to my book. That also entails that if you are a patron, when I complete the book, you will get a free copy of that said book. So that is just a few of the things that we do here at Undying Light, and we would greatly appreciate if you come and join this community. You'd have access to our chat groups on Instagram and our Discord channel where we keep everybody up to date and have wonderful conversations spanning the plethora of information. So $1 a month gets you full access to all of that. You can buy a whole year up front and get access for just about $10 and change, and that gives you 12 months uninterrupted access to Undying Light. The other promo I would like to share with you is Logos.com. You can get yourself a copy of this wonderful Bible software. You can download it free and Uh, Go in and just choose and purchase the books that you want, uh, whether you want a study Bible or just a couple commentaries. But the app itself is a wonderful program and allows me to quickly move through content without holding me up. I can search and find all of the available resources in my library that talk about whatever topic that I'm covering And I can draw from it, and I can read through it, and I can have all of it right in front of me. In fact, as I'm recording this, I have my study Bible open with my ESV Bible open, and generally I'll have the Book of Concord open and probably some of Luther's lectures or his uh, commentaries or anything else that he may have written, maybe even sermon notes, things like that, up on the screen. Those tools are wonderful in helping you study. On top of all that, this is not an app just for theologians and pastors, but it can be used for anybody and everybody at any walk in their life. Wherever you are in your walk with Christ, this app can help benefit you. So logos.com forward slash undying light. You'll get yourself some discounts on packages where it will come designed to your specific denominational view. If you're Lutheran, you can get the Lutheran package. If you're Baptist or Reformed or Calvinist or Anglican or Catholic, or Jewish, you can get all of those packages 
at a discounted rate through that link. So you can find all that information in the show notes as well as anything that pertains to fitness and health as that is another mantra to my life. And if you have any questions on that, feel free to DM me. So thanks again, guys. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you later.